Hello and welcome to Pale Reflections, a proud member of the Doof Network where we reflect on Wabo's most ritualistic and triumvirate work as it releases. I'm Ruben Morehouse. And I'm Elliot Diebold. And we are back to talk about Stolen Away 2.Z, uh, out on, <laughs> so I, I, I want to call it On the Lamb, which is the first <laughs> arc of Twig, out on a limb 3.1. I don't think On the Lamb is, is the first arc of Twig, I think that's what we called our coverage of the first arc of Twig. Really. Is it? No, there's, oh man, maybe I'm getting confused. Anyway. Um, and then interview notes too, and a great discussion questions and predictions and a little monster corner. So stay tuned for all that coming up later. But first, Stolen Away 2.Z, which is from the perspective of Nicolette, which I think you predicted, didn't you? I think I hoped. You hoped. You hoped correctly, um, because we jump into Dick- Nicolette's head, uh, and it starts out with her carrying drinks for uh, everyone else at the Heron Institute as they play smoky cards. Yeah, um, I think it's really fun how this chapter actually opens with one hour ago. Um, mm. But, you know, this is something TV shows and, and even sometimes movies do a lot where you, you sort of cut back and you'll see things from the perspective of another character. So I was sort of mm. instantly prepared to be like, okay, well, by the end of this chapter, I'm going to think Nicolette was was doing things correctly from her point of view. it's just really fun to already get you in the headset of yeah we're going to see the same stuff but i'm going to have a completely different take on Mm. yeah yeah and i think that's to some extent true i i wasn't on team nicolette or at least i didn't think she was in the right in what she was doing but i did uh this did redeem her to an extent at least yeah she's um I, i i definitely don't blame her as much you know as i did before before I saw her as a bit of an aggressor, whereas now I understand she's just desperate and under the thumb of Alexander. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I the the thing that got to me in this was the first sentence in this chapter is Nicolette carrying out a tray of plates, and it's like yeah, she is. It immediately establishes the power dynamic here because she is. I mean, yes, it's because she's the newest member on paper, but also she's the only you know woman that we see in this chapter right um and so it really sets up this quite seedy subservient power dynamic which immediately sets up some of the stuff that we're going to see throughout the rest of the chapter very effectively yeah you're right right from the get-go we understand that she's on the bottom basically yeah Um, yeah definitely and i mean like the other thing is these guys aren't even trying to avoid giving off like mafia vibes like they're they're in a smoky hazy room playing cards like are you serious has there ever been a mafia in murder mystery history that didn't do exactly this (laughs) um like it 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 just sort of right from the get-go i'm like okay so this is the mob um that's good to know yeah yeah you're right that's a good connection they are very much set up as the archetypical mob um although i mean that that said it's the other verse so we take it another step and there's like a reason to have the room be smoky and hazy and it's because they they've been seeing using their their auger abilities and so they want to like do the opposite for a bit which is just a really fun idea like there's always Mm. every time we get introduced to a new branch of the practice or something in in these stories it's always so incredibly well thought out and it's like uh, the the marriage between the tropes and the reasons for why they exist in this instance is always so great. Mm. Yeah. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's the that's the great thing about these stories, right? Yeah. Although, um, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I guess because the, in theory, the, the point of the smoke is that they're meant to stop seeing, but actually, apparently, what they do is they all still kind of do it anyway. Mm, yeah. Yeah, interesting. I guess they it's it's kind of it's like that and this whole chapter has this vibe of it, right? This thing of like they're kind of I mean, they feel duplicitous, right? This place <laughs> feels like it's a duplicitous web. And so everything on the surface is like, yes, we say it's this thing, but actually we're all just doing this other thing. Yeah. It, it's it's all about information gathering and misinformation isn't it and, mm. and that that's just sort of built into all of it mm. yeah um i i want to talk about one other thing that i noticed at the start of this chapter that kind of led into that vibe which is the kind of blend between this place being very meticulous and very haphazard so like there's a lot of things about it that seem like everything's really like in order like the fact that they took apart and put back this church brick by brick which is a very kind of meticulous thing to do right but then also um, Nicolette's room is pretty messy. We get the sense that the whole place is messy. There's like bookshelves in random places, which is very haphazard. And again, it's this kind of vibe of like they set up this one. Uh, it almost feels like the the entire chapter is talking about how the Blue Heron Institute is all about double standards, basically. Like this aspirational or performative element of um, being meticulous and being you know prepared and all that stuff. But uh underneath it's all just like shitty and messy yeah you're right because everything externally facing and everything that other people are meant to see seems quite pristine or authentic you know whereas you know yeah you're right you get out to the back to nicolette's room and it's a bit of a dump um yeah yeah i I like that Mm, yeah um i also like how like as we continue to learn just how shit this place is in, <laughs> in every possible vector. Um, it, like part of the premise that's established really early on by Nicolette is that Alexander rose to the top in this kind of environment. Like he is yeah. perpetuating it and propagating it because it's what he's good at. And and while he's sitting at the top there, he can, you know, continue to have his underlings compete and manipulate each other along the ways that he's the best at, so he can maintain control and and you know, manipulate them without being noticed. Yeah, um, I mean, he sets up the rules, right? So the rules he set up are the ones that allow him to kind of perpetuate the systems that work for him, I guess. Yeah, it, it's the thing. If you have these shit systems, the, the person who's good at the shit stuff rises to the top and then they're incentivized to keep it that way because, like, that, that's what works for them. Um, mm. But, yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting. Like, like you know, we establish that there's so much infighting um, in 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 this institute and and miss goes into a bit more of it in 3.1 about how that's no sorry it's charles who goes into it about how like strife is surrounds alexander so that's why they these guys might be more willing to fight and so like hopefully the way that 3.1 ends that's going to be the vector of attack for 3.2 is is pitting like seth and nicolette and tanner against each other Mm. which is good they deserve it Mm. yeah they do don't they um yeah. Also, I looked up Blue Herons because obviously this is called the Blue Heron Institute, and I assume that's not an accident. Mm. Um, so, like Blue Herons' most notable thing that kept coming up is they have like crazy good eyes. Their eyes can do night vision. They've also got like telescopic lenses, so they can zoom in on shit. Like, and they get not quite three sixty degree vision, but pretty close. Basically, they got real powerful eyes. 
makes sense. Yeah. Um, but they're also one of the uh, Native American totem animals, and they sort of represent this idea of like self-reliance and forging your own path, which mm. I, I think maybe speaks to the way Alexander has sort of seemingly set up this institute as a bit of an adjunct from the rest of the the Bellinger family. I'm, I, I, was I interpreting that right? It kind of seems like this is a bit of an offshoot. It's like Alexander's offshoot of the main... I, yeah, there was definitely a few lines where Nicola was thinking something along the lines of like the reason that Alex has this is because of something that he did within the Belanger family. So yeah. I'm kind of I kind of get that same vibe. It's a little bit up in the air, I think, but yeah, yeah. Well, I I I, I guess this blue heron totem animal stuff made me think that that might more be the case because this might be Alexander kind of trying to forge his own path and. That idea of forging your own path seems particularly important when we're dealing with people who predict the future uh, and you mm. know, are presumably trying to shape their own. Mm. Yeah, 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 interesting. Um, we'll have to see how whether the, the rest of the Bélanger family kind of plays into it at all. I suspect they probably won't, but who knows? Yeah, we'll see, we'll see. Um, we get introduced to the this uh snake ring that nicolette wears here as well where she has this minor encounter with chase and the snake ring kind of you know warns her and it's such a good device to be introduced right like it's this thing that is so crazy it like it it bites i mean we don't it it's never fully like we don't get like a doctrine on how it works but obviously the way it seems to work is it bites her when there's danger coming in the next few seconds right um, yeah, as you said, it's never like completely explained, but I think towards the end of the chapter, the, the story's being pretty upfront about how it works, yes. but at the start here, you're kind of left to try and piece it together in a really fun way. Yeah. And it's this great way for device to be, uh, it's this great device to, to build up tension because it, it basically lets Wabo like ratchet up the tension with this like <laughs> like external thing just saying and now prepare for something to happen <laughs> like it's so great and it, it pays off so well in this chapter yeah it's like the spidey sense but it hurts yes exactly yeah and the fact that it causes her physical pain also just makes it so uh good because again it's not just warning her of danger it's like heightening her adrenaline and like kicking her into fight or flight mode you know yeah, it's like that thing Charles says towards the end of 3.1, like every time you see, it opens up a bit of a weakness, and I can kind of see that with the snake ring, like by letting you know the danger is coming, by stabbing you, it kind of already puts you in fight or flight mode, and yeah. you're already feeling pain, so it's just kind of like you, you just, you know, your body's already sort of killing itself when the danger's actually about to start. Mm. Um, yeah, 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 it's so fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Nicolette goes to to fetch dessert for people and she kind of starts reminiscing on how she ended up at the Blue Heron Institute. And we'll get into that horrifying stuff in a bit. But before then, I want to talk about this magical door. Because, um, yes, it's like obviously a cool little practical thing to remind them about the danger of the brownies. But it's also the exact kind of cool magic shit that you'd see at like magic school. And I'm excited to see more <laughs> of it. And I really loved the fact that this is the most Harry Potter shit we've seen in the whole story, right? Like it's it, sure. it feels like it's explicitly taken out of Harry Potter. This door and what is essentially kitchen elves here, right? <laughs> yeah, um, basically. But it comes right before we find out about Nicolette's horrifying past, and obviously it's embroiled with these kind of like rules and and dangers in itself. And it's such a fun way of showing us, like, okay, this is what 
you know, Hogwarts looks like in this world. It's <laughs> yes, it's got cool magical shit, but also it's horrifying and there's horrifying backstories and traumas tied in it. I just think that's great. I just love that. Yeah, I I mean something we should mention is this isn't the school that Miss wanted to send the Kenneteers to, right? No, I I don't think so. <laughs> I think that would be insane. Okay, but I mean, yeah, it certainly doesn't paint a pleasant picture. Like I'm, you know, this is a dark mirror to to like a Harry Potter school. It, it feels, yeah, I know exactly. It feels like it's a while being like, and this is what it would look like in a normal world, you know? Yeah, exactly. But I just wonder uh, if it is a different one that the Kennedys are going to go to. Like how how different is it? <laughs> because I think it would have to be a lot before I'd say it's worth going. Well, yeah, hopefully it's not as uh, terrible, I guess. Yeah. Um, speaking of things that are terrible, should we talk about Nicolette's backstory? Because, man, that's grim. What the fuck? It's, this might be the thing that has shook me possibly the most in any of the Wabo stories for a long time. Like, mm. the, the, the bit that gets me is that she lay there f- for days. That's, I just, I, I can't. I don't, it's I don't, pretty rough, isn't it? That that is that is the most horrifying thing ever to me is to be lying there in pain and helpless and just having t- to wait. And mm. I I mean, like like right here, you start to see how Nicolette is like all three of the Kennedys' traumas rolled into one. Like we've got Verona's, you know, loving family, um, in in Nicolette's dipshit family as well, um. She's got like Avery's loneliness, like she's so isolated and alone in this institute, and and even back when she was with her family, mm. and then particularly here at the institute, she's dealing with the same sort of systemic oppression that Lucy has to put up with. Um, so like putting it so early in the chapter, I was just immediately like, "Well, God, like it's it's hard to keep blaming Nicolette for things because she's just drawn such a short straw." Yeah, and I think it's a great way of starting to endear us to her. Because yeah. obviously, you know, in the previous chapter, she was the villain, right? She's the... Yeah, exactly. You know, she she's an outside aggressor fucking with Kenneth and the Kenneteers, but um, this kind of reframes it as, no, she's, like, obviously been backed into a pretty horrible situation and is mainly just struggling to keep her head above water, right? Yeah, like, I think before this chapter, I maybe pictured her as being closer to a Seth. Like, I, I assumed she would be, like, this privileged uh, Bellinger who was, like, you know, just trying to compete in the family for her own selfish gains. And that's not really what it is at all. She's 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 definitely a victim. Um, mm. Like, I hate the, the, the details we get later is she fought her way, like, tooth and nail when she was, she had these spirits in her head. She was crazy. She fought her way to becoming, like, a functioning person again. And that was when they approached her and she was like smart enough basically to say no. And then of course her dipshit family came back into the picture. And so she went running into the, the, the blue heron Institute's arms and you're just like, Oh, it, like, it's so, it's so tragic. And that, yeah. that later detail that takes place about halfway through the chapter where it's just sort of like, just in case you need a reminder that mm. Nicolette deserves better than this. Yeah. <laughs> she had the chance not to, and her family fucked it up again. Uh, yep. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty rough. Yeah. And, and and it's not even all in the past. Like, I think the other big thing that this chapter sets up from here is how vulnerable Nicolette is, like, yeah. physically. Um, yeah. She has to wear this this ornament over the, the hole that still exists in her skull to make sure only good spirits are getting in. 
um, while also having to worry about being infected with like meningitis and stuff. So she's of course dealing with like metaphysical and physical uh, bacteria getting in her head. Yeah. Um, and you know we see this thing get knocked around a bunch. This chapter, like she's, it's so precarious. I can see why she's mm. constantly taking these risks that the other augurs aren't willing to. It's because she is kind of always facing her mortality. Yeah, yeah. She's kind of got to prove herself, and she's she. I mean, the choice for her isn't she can't just kind of pull a Seth and and like coast or even just kind of do okay because mm. under that she's just not going to make it right she's just too disadvantaged she needs to get herself into a better position yeah exactly like someone like Y or tanner i think they both like criticize oh no i think it's chase who's sort of like oh you need to be more careful about what you're sending out but she just doesn't have room to be careful and she's always got this like you know hole in her head basically reminding her that she's vulnerable so of course she's not just going to sit there and and be careful like she's got a put it on the line mm. Mm. yeah um yeah man i i mean i i i do like the idea that we're indeed to nicolette like i i don't know I, we yeah. don't really talk about this in our notes but i think we should touch on the idea like i ended the chapter wanting more of her right like yeah I, and more of her in a way that is not you know fully gr- go- good or bad it's kind of she exists in this gray area that i'm excited to see more of yeah, I'm like I'm hoping she is present during the negotiations in three point. I'm assuming they'll be in three point two. Mm. Um, I I hope she's there for them. Um, because you're right. Like I want to see more of her, and I want to see what the Kennedys think of her as they get to see her. Like I think that's mm. always the fun part of like going from interludes to meeting characters is seeing them from the other perspectives. Like how quickly are the Kennedys going to pick up on the fact that Nicolette is more of a victim really than anything else you know yeah i mean we'll see it depends on i don't know i mean like obviously the stuff that's happened to avery is pretty bad right yeah um, so it depends on how much she's able to atone for that i suppose yeah exactly exactly um i also just just before we move on to the next bit i i love this little scene where nicolette is imbuing crow feathers with like cursed blood things as like fate attack needles um just because like again it's just another example of how much depth there is to this world like we get a whole chunk of the paragraph dedicated to very high levelly explaining this whole aspect of the practice that you know we may never even see again um it's just so cool like there's you know little greek greek versions of the names for the different types of like suffering that powers Mm. these bloods um, for some reason, she doesn't have happiness blood. It's all like doom blood and toil. It's all types of suffering. It's not like oh, and here's like bliss blood. Um, gross. It's gross. Yeah, I mean, it raises serious questions about Nicolette's morals, though, as well, because like you know, she's gathering all this blood, and that just doesn't feel good. Like at the status of these people, she's like mm. one of them. She's like, oh, we, you know, we found a practitioner who was heading towards doom. And, uh, you know, so we, we kind of saved him from that in exchange for his blood. And now he runs errands for us. So that's good. And I was like, is it? <laughs> is, is, well, you know, they they didn't, like, they didn't force this guy into that situation. At least not that Nicolette seems to imply. Well, no, so but they specifically, they specifically waited until, like, the doom was manifest enough that it they would be in the blood. They kept tabs on him. They were just <laughs> being friendly. <laughs> yeah, they didn't want to overwhelm him. Um, 
No, I mean, like, the other, the real one is then she's like, there's one of the blood types is like madness. Mm. And she's like, oh, you know, this one really struck a chord with me because she's had issues with, I mean, do you call it mental illness if you're actually being possessed by spirits? Like, it's, you know, this mixture of, you know, back in the Middle Ages, they used to think that your brain was infected by demons or spirits or whatever if you were crazy. And that's actually what happened to Nicolette. Mm. Um, Anyway, like, so, but she, she's experienced madness. And so she's like, oh, the madness blood, that struck a chord with me. And I tried to make yeah. sure that the person whose blood I'm milking was pretty happy afterwards. And it's yeah. like, hey, maybe so you should take a, you know, <laughs> take a step back and evaluate. Why are you stealing blood from people? Stop doing that. Uh, nah, it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. Um, yeah, no, it, it is funny. Um, so... <laughs> <laughs> so uh Nicolette goes on to uh bring, you know, dessert to these uh Belangers. And uh we get this scene of her basically being sexually harassed by uh one or two of them. And Alex oh I shouldn't call him Alex, it feels weird. Alexander mm. uh steps in to defend her and he does okay. I don't know. We'll talk about that in a second. But I just think it's interesting that this is actually the first time we actually meet Alexander, even though He's been mentioned so much up until now, and his presence yeah. is so heavily felt. I didn't even realize the first time through, we don't actually meet him until, you know, a good chunk into this chapter. He's so imposing. That's a good point. I mean, as you just sort of brought up, it feels weird to call him Alex. Like, his <laughs> yes. presence is so defined that I'm yes. only thinking of him as Alexander, which, you know, to actually use someone's whole name is very tough for Australians to do. So the fact that I'm, like, doing that by default, you know, that's, it's... It really speaks to how well defined he is. Mm. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, um, we, we've skipped over like the brownies in the kitchen a bit. And we'll we'll come back to those because I, I want to mm. talk about them later. But um, yeah, obviously, like this whole scene. Just in case you had any lingering doubts that these guys weren't a bunch of fuckwits, um, it's like a group of twenty-something guys sleezing on a sixteen-year-old girl. Uh, it's. <sighs> I, and I think the thing is, like, Alexander defends her, but I didn't believe that he actually gives a shit. Like, he doesn't, at best, I, I feel like what he's doing is defending his honor by defending Nicolette since she's his apprentice. Like, I, yeah. never, felt, I never felt like he was actually thinking, oh, you know, this kind of sexual harassment isn't okay. He's just kind of, like, power tripping. Like, yeah, so... It's weird, isn't it? Because if you just took his words and not the context, I think it would be, you'd think like, yes, he's jumping to a defense in a good way. But it's got such a seedy, like, atmosphere that it feels just very inauthentic. And I can't even really put my finger on it. Well, he doesn't even do it till later. Like, I think that's the thing. It's like the second or third comment before he finally Mm. sort of steps in. And it's specifically targeted at Seth. And it feels like more like he he just wanted to put Seth in his place rather than actually defend Nicolette. And then obviously, you know, the way he treats Nicolette later in the chapter, it's, it's obvious he doesn't actually care about her yes, or, or any of it. So like, yeah, I, I, it's just like, it's just, I think where the one good thing in this scene is Alexander defending her, but I can't even call that good because I don't believe it comes from a good place. I think he's doing it for the wrong reasons. And it's just like, yeah, I mean, yeah, Nicolette is in a shit situation. Mm, yeah. Yep, it's pretty shit. Um, so we we now that we've met Alexander, we start to see the web of deception and intrigue, you know, coming uh, coming around. Um, 
Nicolette needs to go investigate Kenneth, and so she uh, asks to borrow the sanctuary from Alexander, and he agrees. But, you know, there's all these terms and conditions, basically. And as she agrees to this and goes to actually do it, she gets into a bit of a confrontation with Seth. Yeah, yeah. And so those details that you mentioned about how this relationship with Alexander works is, like, super important. They're, they're sort of playing this game of chess over her future. Um, and, of course, it's over her future because they're augurs. Um, <laughs> but basically, whenever Nicolette needs anything, uh, Alexander makes her owe him some of her time. Um, and, and basically, they're, they're playing this weird game of chicken with it because if she owes any time after her 18th birthday, then it's like because she is of age or something, like the contract changes and then he's free to do all this stuff with her while she's indebted, which includes like marrying her off, marrying her himself. Mm. Um, God fucking knows. Uh, and so Nicolette's strategy to deal with this is to try and outplay him. Um, mm. despite establishing him as the person who thrives in this environment and rose to the top in it. Um, yeah. I mean, it's a bold strategy. Uh, yeah. On my first read, I was kind of with her and I was like, oh yeah, look, she's clearly got a plan. Like it, she seems competent. I'm sure it'll go okay. But on the second read through, it's so obvious to me that the, it just feels like there's no chance this is going to work. Like it depends on everything going perfectly her way and it's just not going to happen. <laughs> I think the reason it felt f like it was never going to work to be is like the crux of her plan is basically that she's secretly in touch with this other auger coven um, who, who want to snatch her. Um, but yeah. before like she goes, she's trying to milk as much as she can out of the, of the yeah. Bellingers. And, and so her, her premise is, oh, they've equipped me with stuff to evade his sight that, you know, he doesn't know about. And, and so like, I'm safe. And I just, that like, that never made sense to me. I was like, this guy is like this master who is leading this whole clan. And you think this coven just discreetly was able to give you something that can like dodge all his shit. Like, like that just, I, yeah, I, I don't know. Like I was instantly suspicious that that was actually the case. And something we see whenever this coven is brought up, she's kind of idolizing it all the mm. time. Like she's like, oh, like there's one point where she basically... I'm paraphrasing, but she effectively says, oh, I'm not going to have any problems when I move to the coven. And I'm like, oh, you don't believe that, do you, <laughs> Nicolette? Like, yeah, they're in the they're in the business of like poaching you from this other toxic place. Like, let's not pretend they're some idyllic group of, of girls like, or, or women looking out for each other, you know? Yeah, I'm it's like there's no way the grass is that green over there, yeah. you know? Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. It'd have to be a real hellhole to be as bad or worse than this place. But like, there's such a long stretch of space between the Blue Heron Institute and Good. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe still worth doing. But like, I just this whole premise of oh, they've equipped me with stuff to evade his sight. I was like, he's better than that. Like, <laughs> mm. you know. And then she's like, and I've checked, and he doesn't know. And it's like, yeah, but we just established that there's stuff to avoid auger readings like how do you know he's not <laughs> like your whole premise is like i'm dodging him because i did readings and he doesn't know that i'm dodging him so like, yeah but he no. could be dodging that like, uh, uh, anyway yeah this is why you don't play chess with the masterminds yeah um yeah it just feels like it's 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 so unlikely that things are going to go well and i mean they don't right <laughs> you know yeah 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 exactly <sighs> 
Um, like it reminds me, I mean, something I'm, I'm constantly going to be doing is like every time we learn something about Nicolette, I'm, I'm sort of using it to, to reflect on the can of tears. And it reminds me of like the fairy gifts, all this stuff. Like Nicolette thinks she's winning because she's like, oh, I've, I've figured out his trick and I'm outplaying him and I've got secret moves of my own. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, sure you do. But like Alexander's been playing this a lot longer. He's got a lot more equipment. Like, what makes you think he doesn't have hidden moves of his own? Like, it's the same vibe as when Verona's like, okay, I think we can outthink the fairy with what the traps traps are going to be in their gifts. And it's kind of yeah. like, well, they've been doing this for a long time, like Verona. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's, it is, it is like that. It's very much, you kind of have to assume that the other person isn't going to figure things out and her plan does not, you know, her, her plan doesn't, account for any interference from alexander like if he figures it out that like she's she's just not accounting for that right yeah exactly um i suppose she is in that she thinks she's doing these readings which will let her know if he is going to figure it out um but Mm -hmm. yeah that's that's assuming um that that's working working. yeah yeah um anyways so to go back to seth and the confrontation with seth as she's trying to set up the sanctuary um i mean this guy's a cunt. Like he's he's like the walking embodiment of old money privilege. Mm-hmm. Um, I I love feels like the wrong term, but there's this very powerful line where he's sort of looking at her as they're chatting, and and she says the eye of his that she could see glowed as he looked her up and down, past clothes, past skin, past bone and organ, and I, like I just this line is really effective at like. It, it takes the male gaze and uses that to show how invasive he's being. Like, it's kind of like, you know, upping, upping it. Mm. Um, like it, it starts from a place of the male gaze with like past clothes. And then it's just kind of like going to, yeah, but he's piercing like her soul. And that feels so much more invasive when the starting point is, is sort of like this gross male gaze. Yeah, definitely. It really is the male gaze turned up to 11, right? It's, yeah. it's, yeah, pretty rough. I mean, that's what this this the practice seems to do is take everything, especially the, the gross and bad parts of humanity, and allow them to be amplified and and extended. And that's kind of what's happening here. Mm. Yeah. Um. So, uh, Nicolette gets to the sanctuary, kind of walks out of this confrontation with Seth in an outcome that she seems to be happy with, which is interesting. Well, um, she she stabs him with one of her. With her uh, feathers, feathers, yes, that, um, to to imbue him with some, you know, omens of shittiness, basically. Yeah, one of the kinds of suffering that she was prepping earlier. Um, and it sounds like she's not going to let it get that bad, but it's just you know a bit of, you know, rivalry, like you know a bit of torture between classmates. The huge. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Uh, but anyway, so she goes onto the sanctuary and, uh, we get the scene of the happy tree friends, but from the other side, from Nicolette's perspective. Um, mm-hmm. can I, I don't know if you got this vibe, but compared to Seth, definitely. And even compared to some of the others, she seems incredibly capable. Like, uh, obviously Alexander is on another level, but from what we see of Nicolette, she seems really good at this, right? Even though she's the youngest, she seems very, very good at this. Yeah, I guess we don't actually see them doing anything. Um, yes, but, but I've forgotten the one's name, the one who goes to Skype his girlfriend. 
Um, yeah. He comes in and sees what she's doing and he's like, oh, going all out, are you? And she's just like, no, I'm not going all out. Like <laughs> it didn't, and it didn't feel, I mean, maybe it was just her bragging basically, but yeah, it didn't feel like that. It just felt like she was just kind of like, huh? No. Yeah. Yeah. Although I think like maybe, uh, I, I, I mean, I don't know enough to say whether she's like a natural talent or anything, but like definitely the vibe you get from Nicolette throughout this chapter is she, like she fucking works hard. And, you know, like it was like two months of work to put together the happy tree friends. Like she, she's not just competent, but she works for it. And and that's almost more important. She puts in clearly a lot of effort and, and maybe that's the differentiator when you compare her to, I mean, Seth definitely, but yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So she, she, we kind of see this happy tree friends thing from the other side. Great. Fun to see. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she, she drops down some of those advanced runes that we weren't about a couple of bonus bits or extra material bits ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, it was kind of fun to, you know, again, glance back at those documents to see what she was trying to do with them. Um, but, but like the thing that really jumped out to me is like when this chapter first starts and I'm like, Oh cool. We're going to see things from Nicolette's point of view. I was like, Oh, I can't wait to see what her reaction is to the the canateers and like does she consider joining them when lucy asks for like peace and cooperation Mm. and and i think what's really interesting is we we actually don't get to see that like she she's not even in a position to consider it yeah they kind of like lucy asks oh can't we just like work together but alexander's over over her shoulder and i think it's even at that point that he like does some weird space bendy shit to kind of be inside the diagram as well Mm. So she's not even in a position to even She can't even, think. yeah. Like, we don't she, even see her react to it in her head, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, she's just not in a space where she can do that. And it makes that, that moment a little bit more tragic to me because she's not even allowed to think, oh, I'd love to, but I can't. It's just she, she doesn't even get a chance to go that far. She's too under it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, yeah. Um, I, I wish... I mean, this is the the question that this chapter raises, right? Is is Nicolette in a position where she can discuss like joining the the Kenneteers, or and if she was in that position before, has she been pushed so far away from that position by what uh, Snowdrop did that that's gone, that's off the table now? I don't know. I'm 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 kind of nervous to see it. The problem is, I can't see a situation where she switches sides anytime soon. That doesn't involve her becoming like Charles's mate and getting forsworn because yeah she yeah. she has made all too many these promises right requirements that she has to meet for um Alexander mm. yeah yeah true like, like she's it, she's trapped she's she's way too trapped at the moment yeah um cool uh so here's something else that's fun in this is we get this perspective of Miss from the other side like. And it's interesting because we, we've been seeing the Kennet others from, you know, the trio's perspective. And Miss has always been this, like the leader of the group and is a, kind of eternally helpful. But from the, other, from the other side, it's like this imposing presence that they can't quite get a beat on. And they're kind of like, oh, there's somebody else there, but it does, we can't quite make out the words or whatever. And it's a lot scarier. <laughs> like when Miss is <laughs> yeah. not playing nice to you, she's a lot scarier. I kind of like that. Yeah, it's interesting, like, and it's a shame the way things look like they're ending up in 3.1, because she'd be so interesting pitted against Augus, because she's kind of, as, you know, a lost, she's a bit of the antithesis of everything that they're about. 
Like yeah. she is to some extent unknowable. And I mean, I, I think she was particularly worried about them because if they got their hands on her, I'm sure they'd love to bind her and, and use her for like, you know, anti auger stuff, like against their competitors. Mm. Um, so I can see why she's bailing, uh, in that respect, but it's like, she, you know, I, I feel like she, she would be a big asset against them. And she, she is in these two chapters. Um, mm. I guess it's just that thing where the second they turn the tables, she's, you know, fucked. Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, cool. So, uh, we get, uh, to the point where we saw Lucy hit Nicolette with the nettle wisp. Um, and God, this is horrifying from the other side. <laughs> when we saw that from, uh, what Lucy's perspective it was, wasn't it? Um, yeah. it was just kind of like, oh, cool, cool trick. And we did it. We beat her. And God, from the other side, uh, it is rough and it pushes Nicolette into this place of de- definitely wanting revenge on these Kennedyers. Yeah. And I mean, cause you can see like it really, if, affects her like her eyes have been bad since she was a kid because of the whole like shower incident um yeah. like she has like f- four prescriptions that she's her eyes like alternate between mm. which is just like insane and must be such an inconvenience so it's like you could see how becoming an auger someone who specializes in seeing would have been such an important thing for her like because mm. it means that she can see again and she can see better than others um, like she even has those super glasses now. She's got glasses that let her flick between different types of sight, which I was like, holy shit, that's, I'd become an auger for those alone. Um, but anyway, like, so the idea that now she's just going to be completely blind as an auger and as someone who like has suffered from these vision problems, you can just see how much this gets to her. Yeah. Um, yeah, it definitely hits her in, uh, 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 uh it really hits close to home for her. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah, it, it's rough. Um, I, I, here's something else that happens in, in this part, though. Interestingly, we kind of see the the Blue Heron Institute, Alexander's reaction to the Kenneteers and their level of power. And it, it they they seem to have access to much more power than we thought, right? Like the fact that they're drawing on the, the Kennet others is actually a much bigger power source than I at least first thought. So much so that they're all kind of like, whoa, like, this is wild how strong they are. They seem way too strong for novices. Um, yeah, we kind of think of them as these, like, goofy 13-year-olds who keep getting way too, like, you know, diving into the deep end way too much. Um, and we see them from this outside perspective, and these guys are like, wow, they have, like, access to so much power, even though they're novices. And, and that's actually a bit of a, like, sore spot for, for Nicolette that we'll get into. Mm. Um but yeah, I mean, the other thing as well is they're like, they're put off by how weirdly versatile they are. And it's just yeah. because they're getting stuff f- from a group of others. Like it's this, this idea of a commune of others, I think is so alien to these augers that they can't understand how the Kennedys are so versatile. <sighs> yeah. I guess it's such a uncommon thing that it just can't, like that it wouldn't jump to mind. Right. Um, I guess similar to the, um to the the thing with the animal masks where they you know when nicolette is looking at them they look like they have their animal heads and it's kind of weird enough that they none of the people there with the exception of alexander know why that would happen yeah or it even takes alexander well i was gonna say it takes alexander a while to get there but actually it doesn't he's freakishly good at this it's very concerning oh yeah Um, oh yeah isn't he great he's so experienced like he's able to pull together like fuck he just he just gets things immediately seemingly like yeah yeah it doesn't even take time because he seems like he's figured it out from the get-go from the way he interacts with you know like seth and the others 
Yeah, he's yeah, he's he's scarily good. I can't wait to see more of him as a villain. I think he's going to be fun. Yeah, and part of that is just because he's very switched on. Yeah, um, but yeah, no, you're right. It, it's very funny to see like from the perspective of the Blue Heron Institute uh, and Nicolette. It's kind of like there's these three young women who have just somehow tapped into like this giant power, and they they just feel like reckless teenagers with like tons of power. At, at their fingertips and they don't really know what they're doing, which is actually kind of exactly what it is. Um, it's just funny how from their perspective, they're just like three girls who are like, you know, drowning and, and don't know what they're doing, but they don't realize how powerful they are. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I, I guess it makes me worry that they're that powerful. Like either they're tapping into some source of power, like the Carmine beast that they don't realize, or like the Kenneth others just didn't tell them how powerful they actually are. <laughs> Like probably for the which best, is not, which know. doesn't bode well. Like it, it seems like it's something that you would want to ha- have them know. Like because if they're powerful, that would draw attention, right? Like this is the exact circumstance where you you want to be careful with that. Yeah, that's a good point. It, it's just funny because it's just I don't think it's occurred occurred to the Kenneteers at all. Like they're they feel like they've got nothing, and they're like in their circumstance. They've got no power. They're talking about trying to do these level up rituals because they feel like they don't have enough power to do anything useful. They actually see Nicolette as kind of weirdly powerful. Like, I wonder if it's like, you know, there's this grass is greener situation going on between everyone where it's like different types of power and and circumstance. They see Nicolette having all this experience as her being powerful and they don't realize how under the thumb of Alexander she is. And, and, Mm. you know, meanwhile, like, Nicolette has no idea what the situation is with the Kennedys and how kind of in danger they are in their own way Mm, yeah interesting yeah i i mean i guess this is what we were talking about i think it was two episodes ago or something when it was like the idea of booker telling lucy like hey you should try and reach out to more people because all your problems seem really big when it's just you and like yeah having a connection with someone like nicolette i think could be beneficial to, to both groups just to be like expanding the context of what is going on so they're not so trapped within their own situations you know yeah you're right because in the world of practitioners it maybe seems like their you know circumstances aren't that bad or they're you know they're not that alone there's people like nicolette out there who are being you know oppressed and struggling just as much as they are yeah yeah definitely um so uh you know alexander uh, comes in to help uh, Nicolette get her revenge, and she gives uh, he gives her a a dollhouse uh, basically that uh, lets them spy on the Kennetiers, and they use this dollhouse to spy on the Kennetiers. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I love how Nicolette kind of gets weirdly self conscious about her room with Alexander seeing it. Like that's very relatable, um, and it, like what she starts to do as well is as she's like going around her room. This is where we get the, oh, it took me two months to make the happy tree friends. Mm. Um, you know, it's like six months of work and so many dollars to get all this blood. Like, she's very aware of how much effort and, and stuff has ta- it's taken her to get every scrap of power. Like, she has to work so hard for all this stuff. Yeah. And, you know, this is why, what we were just talking about, this is why she resents the Kenneteers so much because they've just kind of stumbled onto all this power and they're just trying to get more. And she's, like, kind of offended by that because you know from her perspective they're kind of like seth right like like not knowing more about this situation you can see why she would compare them to seth as mm. oh these are just three women who've lo- who locked somehow, into a bunch of power yeah. and, and they're just trying to get more like how greedy of them 
And, yeah. you know, that that's that's kind of like what Seth is or, or maybe um, Tanner or one of the ones who actually tries. Yeah. Um, whereas, like, from her perspective, she has to fight to get every little piece of, of power that she has. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can see that. And it's not untrue, right? Like, the Kennedys literally are just three random people that were given power. And they've been given power because it's going to be like because they're in a in a position of being exposed to to a lot of dangers, right? Like it's not like they're hmm. they they don't have their own problems, but there's kind of a truth to what she's saying. Yes, yeah. Well, the 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 Kennedys apparently do not appreciate how much stuff they've gotten relative to someone like Nicolette, who's had to fight for you know presumably much less. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, like you know, she just used two months of work on the tree friends. She's she uses all her blood to do this sort of stuff. Whereas, yeah. like, I think the Kennedys were worried that it's like, oh no, we're like thirty percent of the way through all our free gifts. Um, <laughs> oh no, I used up my dog tag and now I have to go visit John to get another one for free. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I, so I guess the other thing to, to go back to the dollhouse, like they so Alexander says they stuff it up the first time because like, yeah, they they do it. They and, see a diner. Yeah, they see this diner with a bunch of bodies piled up around it. Um. And what Nicolette specifically says at this point is, "Show me the trio who made me lose my eyes." Mm. And okay. So like, I do. Do we reckon maybe the diner is is actually something like? Is this gonna be one of those things where in in a year we're like, oh, of course, um, because because after that all the phrasing turns into like, show me the three with the animal faces, mm. show me like it, it gets more specific. So what if the diner is where the trio who killed the Carmine? I don't know. Like you know, the Carmine beast's death led to the girls being awoken, which led to, um. Nicolette using losing her eyes, like maybe the dollhouse was kind of skipping over, and I don't know. Like, so what if the diner is where the three people who killed the Carmine B star or something? You know, I, I guess. I tried to, yeah. Obviously, initially I wrote it off as Alex making a mistake as well, but I I tried to think. I like I like the idea, but I think the thing that means that that can't be true is there's just so little information in here. If Wabo was going to drop some cool little you know easter egg or whatever you'd feel like there would have to be something but there's it's a diner here's the line a diner with cars around it and figures piled up around it right something like that um that's nothing like you can't read any <laughs> like there's literally nothing you can read into there right yeah other than the fact it's a diner so maybe it's the goblins that verena was feeding chicken nuggets to <laughs> like i don't know um, yeah, yeah, maybe. I like maybe it'll be a thing where in a couple of chapters there'll be a scene in like in the diner, but in mm. the ruins there's a bunch of echoes piled up or wait, like, you know, I don't know. And then yeah. we'll be able to do something with that, maybe, probably not. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. You're probably right. Yeah, maybe. I mean it seems like there's so little to go off of that it just can't <laughs> be anything, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, um but okay so the other thing that happens here as well is uh alexander does a bit of a like tarot reading yeah. um <clears throat> to to see what's going on and i mean obviously as as our resident tarot expert um ever since all packed up i thought i'd ask you what what do you reckon any of this might mean yeah well i am a tarot expert obviously mm -hmm. um so here's the ones that we get, right? We get, there's kind of two sets. There's first for the, the main group, the chariot, the fool, strength, and the empress. 
this is an interesting one to me because if you've done kind of tarot stuff or looked it up, you'll know that tarot cards have different meanings based on whether they're what's known as upright or like facing towards you or reversed, which is, you know, upside down basically. Um, and we don't get information on that here. Like, you know, Nicolette doesn't comment on which way they're facing or anything like that. And so it's hard to know if this is because Nicolette is, doesn't just doesn't notice or if they're all upright meanings or, or what. Um, yeah, because doesn't she say it's like, you know, one is front, back, left, and right or something like that? Like yes. There's, there's a directionality kind of to them. around them. Um, so there is some directionality to them, but again... It doesn't it, map. Yeah. Like, so easily. I was kind of yeah. looking at it. And so, for example, one that I think is a good example is uh, The Empress comes up, right? Which is about, like, familial stability and, like, positive familial relationships, specifically mother relationships. And so maybe okay. that maps to Lucy, kind of. but if it's reversed it's about like domestic problems which definitely maps to avery right uh, sorry to not to avery to verona um yeah and so i'm kind of trying to read into it but i think it's it's hard and potentially intentionally so wabo has intentionally left some of this info out so that we can't tell if for example um the chariot which is about ambition and overcoming obstacles or if it's reversed it's about failing to overcome obstacles and being like weighed down by self-doubt right if it's face up, that's a good sign. If it's reversed, it it could represent maybe Avery's self-doubt and something going wrong for her, which obviously it kind of does. Um, there's a few like that, right? Yeah. So I, I'm wondering something, because Alexander uses this to then um, call up his mate who knows just enough about finding to kind of yes. give them some basics on the on the forest ribbon trail. Yeah. I. I wonder if the the reading here wasn't of the people, but was of the the path and the journey. Yeah, I like so that. like that that strength being reversed, like the lack of self control. Mm. Uh, maybe that's um, snowdrop or um, like the, okay. So the chariot example that you just gave, like being about ambition, um, or if it's reversed, it's about self doubt. Um, like. Avery has that whole bit where she decides to leave her indecision behind. So self-doubt mm. obviously comes up explicitly at one point in the path. So mm. maybe maybe it's an actual reading of what Avery's journey in the path is going to be. Mm. Yeah, maybe. Um, we get these other cards that are put down next to a figure identified as Alpi, right? Which is the moon and the high priestess. And so the mm. moon I like because a reversed moon often relates to insomnia or bad dreams. And so that's like bang on. Check. Right? <laughs> um, the high priestess was interesting to me because it's usually, it relates to the idea of mysteries or hidden information normally. And I was trying to Ooh. tie that to Alpi and I couldn't quite figure it out, but maybe it's meant to be miss. Maybe there's something to do with miss here, but obviously they don't quite know where miss is or they can't quite see her. So potentially that was like a bit of a, a fluff where it was meant to go for miss, but they just don't know that she's there or can't quite identify her. So went to Alpi instead. I'm not sure. Yeah. From my memory of this scene, Alpi was there. Sorry, Alpi and Miss were both there. So yes. maybe maybe Wires got crossed um, when he was trying to do the reading. Or is Alpi hiding a secret? Yeah, or is Miss Alpi the same person? That would be a twist. <laughs> yeah. That would be some hidden information. Yeah, that is the logical, uh, logical leap to make yeah, exactly. uh, from what we just talked about. It, it Yeah, it just did feel like maybe it is that Miss is there and that's what it was. It just felt strange to me it felt like the card didn't quite fit in a way that i suspect yeah. there's something going on i mean we no, almost I'm, certainly I'm, there's something going on with alpi right 
yeah, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna attribute it to I'll be having a secret. Yeah. Yeah. Um so yeah, uh Nicola uses this dollhouse to spy on Avery and basically every time we saw the dollhouse in the paths uh, chapter with Avery, that was when Nicolette was inside the dollhouse, um, you know, spying on Avery. <laughs> and yeah. so uh Nicolette makes this deal with the wolf to to, you know, get involved and, and basically fuck shit up. And we see it happen and it's horrifying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, and so just while we're on Alexander's a dickhead uh, watch, it, you notice how, so one of the things that goes on is as Nicolette wants to use this thing and do the the, the blood drowning to, to appear in the Forest Ribbon Trail, mm. uh, Alexander offers to let her use the box for four weeks of her time. Like, that's mm. not even the power. That's just four weeks for the privilege of using the, the dollhouse. Yeah. When and she has to first- clean it after. Yes, and when she first brings it into the room with him, he's like, oh, I love having an excuse to dust this off. I never use it. Mm. So it's like, like, what a dickhead. He's kind of like, yeah, I never really get to use this thing. I'm excited to get the chance. Also, give me four weeks of your life for the privilege of being able to use it for five minutes. Mm. Um, Like, I don't know. Like, it uses some of its power and stuff, but still. Like, I mean, he's just... Poor Nicolette. Like, he's so obviously playing her. And she has that moment where she she lets him be the one who's pouring the blood, and mm. then there's not enough, and she's like, "Oh, I should have seen this coming." And it was like, "Yeah, like as an auger, you you really should have." Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, right. Like it. I don't know. She's she's clearly the situation has led to her letting her guard down a bit too much. Um, yeah, and I was going to take as we'll see at the end. Um, um, I, th- I think the other thing here is, uh, like, as much as he's being a dickhead, like, we, we continue to see how switched on Alexander is. He he picks it all up so quickly. Yeah. He manages to call a guy who knows enough about finding to get the details. Like, he's, yeah. he, he's quite versatile himself. Like, the only person who picks things up this quickly that we've seen is Miss. Like, there, yeah. there's a weird oh, uh, parallel. what you're and- saying, Elliot. Alexander is Miss. <laughs> That's, That's the twist. <laughs> um. Yeah, I like, I don't know. I started to draw parallels between how good and and you know leadery uh, Miss was versus Alex uh, Alexander, and we'll get to that maybe in three point one uh, as a Miss comes up. But um, I'm so like yeah, Alexander's just going to make such a fun villain. He's so yeah. I'm loving to hate him. Mm. Mm, yeah, I'm so excited for him as well. Um, can we? <laughs> he makes a reference to cutting a Gordian knot as well, which is so funny because obviously that's. Alexander the Great did that, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's it's just like a fun little reference. <laughs> <laughs> like he says he likes to cut the good in. I'm kind of like, do you think if you're a practitioner, you just learn all the famous people who share your first <laughs> name? So you can just make these little references that power up your words a bit more? I think that would be great. Like, who are some other famous Rubens that I could make reference to to <laughs> give my words additional weight? Yeah, I think that's exactly what he must have done. I mean, there's a lot of actual Greek references, particularly in relation to the August stuff, like the different types of suffering blood are all labelled um, according to, wait, wait, well, they've got Greek versions. Um, there's a lot of Greek imagery in auguring um, from the sounds of it. So, like, mm. of course, the head honcho is called Alexander. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 <sighs> Good stuff thought it was hilarious um so yes uh we we see her finally do what we saw happen she kidnaps snowdrop and um you know she (laughs) reaps the rewards from that (laughs) it's so much fun watching snowdrop 
like lying to them here and knowing the yes. gimmick and just being like, oh my yes. god, it's so juicy. Yes. <laughs> I love it. When she, when uh, Nicolette's like, and you'll just stay here, right? And so it's like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> like yes, I'll get them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was like, yes, Snowdrop, fuck their shit right yeah, up. So um, it's so like she's our little trash devil, and I love yeah, her. She's um, so delightful. I could really see why people enjoyed following live reads of two point nine specifically mm. now. Because, like, watching people struggle with this gimmick is just so much fun. Um, the way Snowdrop steals uh, her agenda as well is really just, like, the icing on the cake. Um, <laughs> like, Snowdrop is so useful already. Yeah, it's like she knows exactly what to do to fuck with them <laughs> in the perfect way. Yeah. Um, yeah, so the Blue Heron Institute is burning down and Nicolette leaves to try and find Snowdrop before she can make it to Kennet. And as she leaves, Alexander watches her go. Um, I love this moment where, as she's kind of freaking out, her ring is just biting her over and over. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, man, helpful. Thank you. Thank you. So helpful, ring. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's that that, uh, vulnerability of seeing again, right? Like, just having this ring biting you, it's just like, how is that helpful? That's just panic-inducing. But yeah, I mean, like, so, okay, Alexander, like, what a fucking psycho like he just watches so he's just standing there it just gives this vibe of like yep I-, I knew that's where this was going i was okay with burning down a chunk of our library to force you into this situation which is w- what <laughs> uh, like, i mean yeah at this point i feel like she's either gonna i can't see how can- how she can switch sides she's too yeah. indebted she just gave him four more weeks of time yes she's either got to become like charles the second or she's going to have to stick with the Blue Heron group, and I don't like either of those options. What if Alexander dies? Would that get her out of anything? She'd have to watch his body at some unstated point (laughs) in the future. That's fine. Um, She would owe him four weeks, but that's... I think that would be okay. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a question of where do those promises go if Alexander dies? Yeah, maybe she just has to kill him, and that will get rid of it. I'm I'm sure he's protected from her killing him by some of the mm. arrangement mm. um but you know if well, actually if no i don't really want the kennedy to start killing verona people. kills him yeah no they, they should just be judged during execution they can just <laughs> yeah. murder whoever they want all right get get cherry pop to do it yeah send send cherry pop to do to do the dirty work um, um but yeah there's some there's some fantastic imagery just to close out this chapter and give you like this ominous sense of waiting for arc three um i love the way that Kenneth always feels downhill like nicolette sort of says even as she's driving uphill there's just this weight to Kenneth that makes it feel like she's going down um and she's got these voices whispering in her ear particularly ones of doom um mm. which you know considering she's heading to uh matthew's hometown bodes ill um yeah because you know obviously he's he's chock full of the stuff Mm, so we yeah. shall yeah i mean I, there's just there's a real sense at the end of this arc where i was just like okay uh let's let's do it let's see what happens now it yeah begins. exactly um that's the end of uh stolen away that's the end of uh two two dot z now should we go on to 3.1 nah nah let's just end here all right see ya <laughs> <laughs> no uh yeah so 3.1 is from verona's perspective and we basically see verona and lucy uh react to what happened where when Nicolette steals Snowdrop, which is fucking crazy. Like a giant hand comes and just grabs the <laughs> opossum and then disappears. Like what the fuck? Yeah, it's it's somehow more horrifying horrifying from the third perspective that we're seeing it. Um 
I think the thing that scared me the most, though, is Verona is doing this weird thing where when she flicks her sight off and on, there's this small moment just when she's turning it off and on where it works differently and she gets a different look at the hand. And that, I mean, this has to be a thing. I don't know what it means, but I know that it means something. Like the fact that her sight works differently for just an instant, Mm. is it being intentionally dampened or altered or is it, is that just like it naturally tuning itself? Like, what does it mean that it works differently for a fraction of a second? Um, yeah, it's a weird one, isn't it? I wasn't sure what to make of it either. It's my gut reaction to it though was that this is the sign that Verona is becoming more and more other. Is like her sight starting to be different and and kind of at the periphery of being different and therefore being only immediately different when she switches. I, I, it doesn't feel super strong, but that's all I could really think of. Yeah, I yeah, I don't know. It feels like something like that that's it's also though just on the other side of things, like the fact that Verona sort of figured that out and started using it is just kind of, you know, scarily competent as well. Mm. She just instantly sort of starts gaming the system with it and, you know, she gets to see the snake ring, which is the important bit of information. Yes, to confirm uh, that she's that able that's... to give to Miss yeah, later. Okay. So it's yeah, I don't know. I feel like there's something to this ability, um, but it's also great at just, just how quickly Verona is able to use it. Mm. Mm. Um, and in fact, actually, when um, it, when this sort of happens, there's a like, I think the reactions of Verona and Lucy are so important. Like Lucy kind of has this noble; she wants to stay and protect Avery, and Verona has yeah. to sort of be the pragmatic one and be like. What the fuck are we gonna do? Yeah, we've, like, like we, even the, I think she says, even if we had weapons out and were ready, we couldn't have done shit. And I'm like, yeah, yeah bro. And like you couldn't have done anything there. Yeah, exactly. Um, and and, and you know, I, Lucy comments on this a bit later, and, and and we'll get to that. But um, I just loved how instantly believable these responses were. Of Lucy was like, no, I have to stay here and I have to protect her. And Verona is sort of that one who's like, we can't do that. We need to go and and ask Miss. Um. Mm. and like she's she's willing to leave avery there because she knows that the the better thing to do big picture is go and go and find miss um, i mean yeah so. they can't they literally can't do anything here right <laughs> yeah um, but, i feel for lucy because obviously it's just a situation where you you feel like you should be able to do something but you just can't like yeah go get the adults yeah, yeah but it's just like it was such a believable little character moment like i really liked it and um and then we do find miss um and she dropped some really important uh new knowledge on us here that she didn't actually just escape from the paths uh mm. cleanly she was mm. found and bound by uh some sort of you know really competent finder who basically had um a harem of others that he kept around himself and and used as you know as meat shields bullet, yeah meat shields to uh make his way through the paths yeah. and uh miss comments that she has been reflecting on that a lot recently <laughs> oh miss i love you so much i know you're so suspicious but god <laughs> i really hope we we see more of miss i hope this isn't it yeah me too so let's just dive into this now like obviously i i, I sort of compared miss to alexander a bit before and it's because like to varying degrees they both feel like the mastermind puppeteers uh to me of of the respective groups like miss has sort of been at least the front the front man for uh controlling the situation in Kennet. Um she has felt like the de facto leader. Mm. Um 
And she she always, again, she shares that trait with Alexander where she's just always kind of able to pick things. She picks Snowdrop's gimmick so quickly. She always figures out, like, what's going on with a concerning amount of accuracy. Like, she knows instantly that it's Nicolette because of the snake ring. Mm-hmm. Which is just like, she, she seems to know a lot about yeah. the Bellingers. Almost as and, much as Alexander himself. Hold on. Oh, Wait a second. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so, like, I think what's interesting is I started to draw this parallel around the same time Miss sort of mentioned, she's like, oh, I'm starting to think on mm. that practitioner I met on the path, so presumably she managed to find a way out because he's still there or he's dead. Um, she doesn't really give a shit. Um, but if if we compare her to Alexander for a bit, like, she's someone who took three young women who were you know becoming others and suffering for various reasons and she's taken them under her wing and and turned them into practitioners it's not that different to what happened to nicolette so she's not that different to alexander except here she actually starts to put herself on the line and i wonder if this is what she started to has she sort of started to think oh am i any better than someone like alexander if i'm not willing to put myself on the line for these three like when when avery's in danger like I'm choosing to take a really noble and positive interpretation of her going back into the past for Avery. It's not just her running away from practitioners to the past, but her sort of realizing she's not any better than these practitioners she hates if yeah. she's not willing to help Avery. Yeah, definitely. She's she's kind of coming to a realization. She's growing heart. It's great. I mean, I, yeah. she wasn't heartless before, but she's kind of, I think... You know, when we had the awakening back at the start of this story, only Charles was freaking out that they were bringing three 13-year-olds into this world, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And I do think that Miss is now kind of being confronted with the reality of the situation that they are being put in. Like, uh, when she told Avery, hey, this would be a cool ritual for you to do, and it turns out that it's potentially going to have her lost with a capital L, I think that's Miss kind of having a realization about just what she's done. <laughs> Yeah, well, and I think the other thing is, like, Miss had what I would describe as an understandable and possibly not even incorrect bias against practitioners. Um, and so she was willing to turn these three into practitioners, I think, with the idea that they would eventually become others, so it wouldn't matter. Um, but in general, like, she tends to hate practitioners, and based on what we saw in 2.Z, I don't blame her. Um, but, like, I wonder if there was this realization she's had that because she sort of starts to talk here about how she's actually starting to respect these three. And maybe there's this sense of, oh, maybe practitioners aren't inherently bad. It's these shitty systems they're making. And that's like another part of like, oh, I need to rise above this and I need to go save Avery because it's not, it's not that these three are bad because they're practitioners. It's like practitioners are bad because it's such a cutthroat world. And if I'm, I want to be better. I think she actually sort of explicitly says that to Charles and Verona as she leaves. She's like, if nothing else, I hope I've inspired you to be better. Mm. Um, and, and that's where, like, yeah, like, I think there's this real noble angle of, of her realizing that, you know, she's become part of this cycle with practitioners, even though she didn't really mean to, but the cycle's the problem, not the practitioners themselves. And if she can be better, then hopefully, you know, well, I mean, it's better for her conscience and it's better for the world, hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. Um, so, yeah. Uh, We'll get to the end of this chapter later, but um, for this part, Miss is kind of discussing the options of what they can do with Lucy and Verona. Uh, 
Two of the three options involve walking the path, so they decide they need to get some more ribbon in case they want to do some of these options. Um, while Lucy heads off to kind of make sure <laughs> no one from Avery's family notices that they're missing, that she's missing, which, I mean... As if they would. Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> um, yeah. No, that was mean. Um, uh, shame on you. <laughs> no, I love how competent and, and on task everyone is here. Like, this is just, like, such good competency, um, which you, you don't get in too many stories. Like, there's no arguing um, until right at the end, but it's it's all just, like, constructive criticism type stuff. Like, it's if somebody has a bad idea, it's, it's just, like, I don't think that will work because X, Y, Z. It's not like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Like, they're not panicking so much. They're just kind of working it out as a team. Right, and this is the, the trio of Lucy, Verona, and Miss. And I, I really liked it. Um, the, the, the one exception is sort of right towards the end when Lucy just starts to lose it and is getting really mad because they weren't warned that this is an option. Mm. Um, which is an argument I find myself flip-flopping on how fair it is of Lucy to claim that because, like, I mean, first of all, it's not as if, it's not as if this ritual was presented as safe. I think yeah. in the first place. Yeah. Um, but there was definitely a sense of, if you know the rules, you should be fine. Um, but like as Verona and Miss point out, this isn't really something they could have foreseen. And at what point do the Kenneteers have to take responsibility for the fact that they keep taking risks? Um, but so like, I don't know. Part of me just thinks like Lucy's just mad and she's venting in a way that maybe isn't the correct vector but also kind of is because miss gave them this stupid ritual i don't know well i i don't know i i kind of agree with verona here where like first of all being a practitioner is dangerous you should accept a base level of danger okay second of all like it, sh it should miss preface everything they do with like and remember if someone externally unexpectedly attacks you know you might be in additional trouble like i don't know come on yeah i, I think you can't ever account for all the potential risks is part of the point yeah. um but again, like, Miss is the one who intentionally hit a lot of the risks from them to get them to awake. So mm. it's like, you True. know, maybe, maybe the, the anger isn't fair in this exact instance, but it is a sentiment that has been building up in a lot of other reasonable uh, examples of it, you know? Like, it's not an unfair feeling in general. It's just maybe this isn't the example um, that's fair. Yeah. 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 True. I think there are other examples that are probably better. And and that's probably why Lucy is um is, you know, uh upset about it. It's because this does seem to happen a few times. Yeah, exactly. But then uh, again, at what point do you say, okay, then stop doing this shit? Like yeah, at then what point back do, out do of we, the situation you're in? At what point do we say it's your fault for thinking that it was okay to do this ritual instead of hitching a ride with Reagan? Yeah. Um but anyway, yeah um yeah so uh verona makes it home and heads into a basement kind of reminiscing about these costumes and some possible good times with her dad before he shows up himself to ruin any potential goodwill that he might have earned um god <laughs> can we talk about I, I want to touch on this bit first though which is that we get this line from verona and i'm going to read it out here it is <clears throat> for the first time the skinned meat things and that spiderwebby plastic wrap felt a little bit sinister how the fuck what do you mean for the first time Verona what the fuck is wrong with you are you kidding me for the first time this flesh wrap that has existed in your sight has seemed sinister what I love how Verona always operates on a more like 
uh, like we find out that the costumes that her dad was making for her is like she was dressing up as like the super villain or mm. uh, there's one which is like a fucking elizabeth bathory costume <laughs> a cat. one is just a cat costume which of course yeah yeah but like for those who don't know elizabeth bathory is like the most prolific female serial killer of all time and you know apparently bathed in the blood of young virgin victims to yeah. maintain her youth um so uh, of course we have like an 11 year old girl dressing up in a costume like what yeah um it, it's so verona like i think verona is exactly that kind of person who would have seen all this stuff and been like oh this is neat like she she probably watches horror movies for fun and doesn't get scared um <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I think the other thing, just just like as she is walking home and these skinned meat things are sinister for the first time, she's also having a bit of a conversation with Lucy. Um, and I just wanted to bring this up because it's this really good moment where Lucy is like, sometimes you drive me up the wall, but I'm really glad that you're the one who's here with me right now. Mm. And like, I totally get this because Verona is kind of frustratingly not serious and calm in most of these situations but this is exactly the kind of crisis where you need that like you mm. need someone who's still able to think and i mean it does get to her obviously like as we said you know these horrifying things that she sees start to feel horrifying but um it's like moments like this like we sort of talk about how the kennedys complement each other and this is exactly this kind of crisis i think where verona is so important because yeah. she's someone who i mean she's basically been training herself not to feel um with her dad and that's actually kind of what you need right now someone who can keep their head yeah someone who can kind of help everything stay cool is, is definitely what what uh they need just because otherwise like you can't let yourself panic because that's time that is yeah. being lost right yeah and that's what she's able to sort of talk lucy down when lucy starts to do that towards the end of the thing with miss she's like look like you're kind of right and or you know she's like i don't necessarily agree with this but like whatever it's like we we just need to focus on saving avery right now and like mm. you just need someone who's still kind of coming across as calm and and simplifying things for you like that in moments like this yeah um, yeah definitely like this is you know whereas like something like the hungry choir like in 1.z that was avery's time to shine avery jumped in head first and you know beat the shit out of a bunch of waifs and that's what she's kind of good at and this is this is verona's case Mm. yeah yeah um so let's talk about this part where she almost has a good experience with her dad shall we um <laughs> yeah we... well not not quite she remembers having sure, good experiences yes. with her dad before he turned into what he is no um yeah it, it's it is like it basically is like the more he's absent from the story the more you think that he's redeemable but then of course <laughs> you know he comes back in and and dashes all that goodwill yeah, well, there's. Like, I started to build this sense of hope because she's going through the costumes and she's thinking about how great they were and how he would like make them for her. And oh, there was that last one and it wasn't quite what she wanted and she wasn't able to hide her disappointment and she hurt him. And there was a sense of like, you know, oh, like that one was my fault, mm. which is just this little moment of like treating him as a whole person again. Mm. And, and, and so it was sort of like, oh, okay it's good she even she talks about this weird project he's got where they're trying to renovate the basement or something and she thinks about how oh that might actually be his idea of quality time there's like this these moments where she's starting to consider to his point of view and, yeah. and, and empathize and i was like oh like this this connection might be reforming is there is there hope here if he mm. if he starts to do the same 
And then he comes down the stairs and opens his stupid fucking mouth. And yeah. I was like, I hate this guy. I hate him so much. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Um, I It really hurts, right? Um, there's this moment where Verona, like, just, like, begs him. Begs him. Yeah. Be a good dad one time. And <laughs> I, in my heart, I'm like, oh, my God, is this it? Is it finally? Are we finally going to break through? And no, it doesn't. He fucks it up and she kind of panics and freaks out and, and runs away. And it's horrifying. I think the crazy bit is to me, because I think I know the moment we're talking about, and this is a bit where she's like, please, just this once. Like, this is a 10 out of 10. I just need you to have my back. Yeah. And he's sort of like, why don't you listen to me no, just once? No, his response is, just this once? What are you talking about? <laughs> I'm like, fucking hell. What are, and, then, and then he goes on this rant where he's like, why yes. don't you listen to me just once? And it's like, what are you, five? Like, yeah. you know. He just no user. Um, and I mean, she tries the hugging thing as well. Like this is like she, she tries so hard here to actually yeah. be like, treat him as an equal. Uh, and she, she tries to hug him and her dad just kind of rejects it. And, um, have you, are you familiar with the five love languages? Yeah. 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 Um, well, I guess for those who, who may not know, it's this like idea that there are sort of in general five ways that people express love or want love expressed to them um and it like you know you can use it to like if relationships aren't working you can sort of look at them through this lens uh, it's it's worked great for me in the past but um it, like it jumped out to me here because like i think verona's love language is um I, th- I think it's called like physical affection or something but you know she's always trying to hug people to make things better mm. and that's what she's trying to do here whereas like i think her dad's love language um if if he's still capable of such is uh like words of affirmation, I think is what it's called. Like he wants to be praised and told he's doing a good job. Mm. And, and like part of the problem you can sort of see in this instance is like these two have completely incompatible love languages and they're not equipped to talk in the other person's one. Uh, like what, yeah. what they need is therapy. <laughs> yes. I, again, it's kind of like, I don't even, we've gotten past the point where I can ascribe it to that. Like, um, oh, I mean, that's like that. That's like a, an aspect of it. Like, this would be one of the many sessions of therapy they have could yes. narrow down on this for just a little bit to help them learn to communicate a bit better, which would be the first brick of rebuilding this bridge. Hmm. Mm. Yeah. Um. There's this moment where Verona says Lucy's mum, Jasmine, is a single mother, and she isn't a piece of shit, basically. <laughs> and I'm like, yes. And and you see that get through to him. Finally, you see it get through to him that he is a piece of shit, I think. I don't know. We'll I, see. But I don't know. He just gets a dark look, which I read as more combative. Yeah. Um, and there's definitely a sense. Verona sort of laments the fact that she doesn't think this is going to get through to him at all. Mm. Uh, we, I mean, yeah, we'll, we'll see. Like, it, it's, um, it's interesting because she's under pressure here. And this is just sort of one of the instances where she can't just appease him or um like dodge him like he kind of makes that impossible and so it's sort of a confrontation that at, on the one hand feels overdue but also feels like they've probably done this a hundred times before mm. so i mean we'll see we'll see yeah. if this leads to anything yeah um we'll see afterwards yeah, yeah. uh yeah <laughs> i don't know i i'm hopeful but i've been hopeful before so yeah I mean, the problem The problem with these sorts of things is what can happen is if they have this sort of moment that they might have a sort of conversation about it, but the old patterns reemerge too easily. 
Um, yeah. Like it can be hard without a big change of circumstance. Like for only just leaving the house, it's hard to escape these sorts of patterns. Mm. Yeah. I don't know. I, something needs to break through, right? I can't, yeah. I can't be like this forever, please. <laughs> uh, so yes, Verena leaves with the ribbon and goes back to the cabin, uh, cutting it up. Um, and Miss kind of starts inspecting the ritual and seeing what was going on. Yeah. Um, and, and obviously Verona chats with Matt a bit here before Miss shows up and she's just, I mean, you know, she sort of had to primarily scream at and spit on her father to leave and she's now just empty. Mm. Um, and it may, it makes sense to me. Like I, you know, you feel that way after a big sort of confrontation or something like that. And it's just, it was honestly surprising to me that Matthew didn't really get it. Like for a, a guy walking around with doom inside of himself. He seems pretty bad at reading the room uh, when someone's, like, depressed. Mm. Yeah, he's, uh, yeah, I mean, he just doesn't get it. Luckily, Lucy <laughs> comes in, um, yeah. and she knows and what's she going on. She, she immediately, like, looks at Verona and just hugs her, which, you know, again, like, I'm convinced that's Verona's love language, so good friend, 10 out of 10. Yeah, um... So she she fully gets a read on it. Like she she comes in and is like, oh, and the stuff with your dad will be over soon. And I'm like, yeah. I mean, I I get it because whenever I learn that Verona's heading home, I also expect her to have a horrible interaction with her dad. So yeah. it's fair enough to be on the lookout for that after you know that she's going to visit her house. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what I think she actually says, like Verona sent a text around being like, oh, my dad might call, which. Lucy is probably smart enough to realize this code for it didn't go well. Like even by regular my dad standards, this is bad. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really bad. Um, yeah. Now, now to, to just get my tinfoil on for a <laughs> sec. There's okay. So there's a bit where they mention using the dog tags to summon John after he he knocked Nicolette off the road. Mm. Which I was like, oh, that's a really cool use of the dog tags. I hadn't thought of that before. Um, mm. But Verona does this and summons him and he thanks her. But not five paragraphs beforehand, John is listed as a member of the town that is already in the clearing. So typo it's... or conspiracy <laughs> I mean, theory? It's a typo, obviously. It's obviously a conspiracy typo. theory. Mm, yeah, yeah, I mean, it probably I... would have blown up pretty quickly if it, if it wasn't. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. I just, I really wanted to read something into that. Yep. But we get some cool John scenes here. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. When he does show up for the second time, um, it, he talks about how he's going to pay Matthew for the damage to his car. And everyone's like, where do you get the money? And he's like, oh, I take it off the, the people I killed. And it's like, he's actually a murder hobo. Like, he, he's what? he's living that murder hobo <laughs> lifestyle. The, I saw this money really is liked. loot that others dropped. Yeah, I saw a comment that I really liked that it was basically like he's in a video game where he, he you know, kills monsters and then takes gold coins from their corpses. Yeah, yeah. You, you know how he talks about during the day, he just sits there and plays video games. That's actually him training for his afternoons, <laughs> going around killing monsters for loot. It's like he's someone who's playing Monster Hunter, but when they're not hunting monsters, they sit down and play Monster Hunter. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, d do what you know, I guess. Um, so, uh, yeah, so Miss and the gathered others, uh, all kind of arrive and, and Miss kind of runs through the options and Alpi reveals her own discovery, which is that she's found Snowdrop. Yes. Um, okay. So quickly before, before we get to, to Snowdrop, um, John mentions that Nicolette has this shadow around her head 
And obviously she left 2.Z with these like doom spirits or whatever in her head, um, mm. like giving her things. But so do you reckon it's that or, or Matthew's actually the one who says she might have looked at something too dark for too long? And when he mentions that, I was thinking of the wolf mm. who cast a, a very large and dark shadow that didn't fit her frame when Nicolette was looking at her. So like, like, fuck, what if they've brought part of the wolf back through Nicolette? You know, like what what's happening here? Am I reading too much into it or not? I got the vibe. I mean, my gut reaction was that it was just the, um, you know, the 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 spirits in her head. But maybe there's something else going on here. Who knows? We'll see. We'll see. (laughs) see. I I I just the the idea of the wolf appearing in the real world terrified me, and I kind of want it to happen. Hmm. 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 Um. We'll see. I I think whatever happens, we're not done with the wolf yet. So. Um, now, well, here's yeah, something. I mean, definitely. Here's something. Miss yep. Discovered the Detour is revealed here. Um, and I, that kind of explains why it seems a bit out of place when compared to the rest of the ritual, because for most of people who attempt the path, you have to sacrifice your boon companion. That's the only option. But Miss has somehow discovered mm. that there is this other detour. That's crazy. <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah, she talked about having this intuition for the paths. And yes. like that. Because, yeah, she talks about how it's apparently unknown to everyone else in the world and she was going to sell it for information, which, considering this is, like, Finders 101, like, that feels like a particularly juicy bounty. Uh, like, mm. she should be able to sell that for a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, like, yeah, I'm, try- I'm trying to think of a comparison. It's like discovering a sixth flavor of taste. Yeah. It's-, it's, a, that's a, like, it, it's a big one, it feels like. It feels like a big one, Yeah. I don't know, maybe people are discovering new things about, uh, you know, about this all the time, but I don't know. It doesn't <laughs> I mean, seem like it. To be fair, misintuiting stuff like this and, and getting it and sharing it finally makes sense to me how these people actually figure out, like how Finders figured out all the rules to things like the Forest Ribbon Trail. Mm. Because the only other explanation is that like 10,000 people lost their lives to figure out the nuances of every rule. Um so the like, the only other thing that would make sense to me is yeah something like miss that just kind of rocks it replaces one person comes out and sells that information. Yeah, yeah, true. Maybe it's uh, yeah, maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's like a that's the way knowledge about this stuff kind of sp- spreads and and evolves. I don't know. Um, yeah. Oh, <laughs> something that I really liked as well was um, we find out that the reason that Snowdrop got away presumably and the way that Alpi found Snowdrop is because Snowdrop did the opposite of what everyone would have expected and didn't go back to Kennet. She went to where Avery was going to end up because that's just how contrarian she is. And I just think that's great. Like, of course, that's oh. how she gets away from Nicolette. Oh, I didn't. Oh, I didn't get that. I was a little confused at that part. Oh, okay. Okay. Because that's right. Alpi was going to meet Avery there, wasn't she? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. Of course, no, I Nicolette didn't that wouldn't together. have oh, caught her because she didn't go so back good. to Kennet. <laughs> Isn't that hilarious? <laughs> I love that. Oh, I hadn't thought of that. That's great. I had been assuming that Snowdrop was actually in Nicolette's car, which I thought was a bit weird that Nicolette never figured that out. <laughs> um, Ooh. But yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, I it, it, it's funny though as well, because when Snowdrop comes in again, like I was just talking in 2.Z about how hilarious it was to me that they didn't get Snowdrop's gimmick and we're like, ha yes, burn it down. It was the complete opposite here. Like, it's only one chapter later, and I was like, oh, God, guys, please get it. I can't deal with this. Just yeah, somebody say it. And, like, miss, 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 yeah. yeah, and, like, Miss gets it, like, absurdly quickly. But 
it like yeah just for that brief moment where nobody got it i was like i can't handle this like they need to get it soon um thank god for miss and we're so fucked without her i don't know mm. what they're gonna do without miss they're so screwed yeah i again i this can't be the series wrap on miss right um god i i just can't handle it it would be too bad um yeah, so Miss goes to open negotiations with the Belangers, and Verona sits down with Charles to to get the goss on them. Yes, uh, and and as we sort of already touched on, Charles explains that Alexander specialises in strife, um, which means it surrounds him all the time, um, and you know is why people like Seth and Nicolette are getting into little fights, uh, and Alexander just watches and does nothing. Um, but yeah, hopefully that is something we can use because I think. The togetherness of the Kenner others, and particularly the Kenneteers, is probably mm. something that will be so alien to Alexander and the Augurs that they may not expect it, and they'll be outclassed in terms of turning people against each other. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think the fact that this is such a unique situation is going to be their asset in this circumstance, right? I just, yeah, I, I really think yeah. it, uh, it will bode well, hopefully. Um, yeah, me too. Um, I think the other thing that Charles mentions is that, uh, when they were working together, him and Alexander, uh, they were actually planning to make like an incarnation of strife mm. is I think what he says, which I'm like, okay, so obviously it didn't work out with Charles, but does that mean Alexander stopped mm. on this plan? Like, you know, he foreswore Charles, but presumably he actually had intent and I, like, cause I mean, what I'm thinking is, you know, I can think of an incarnation that I would describe as quite strifey. Um, mm. Like, did did Alexander make the hungry choir? Interesting. I don't think so. I I don't know. I like this. I like the fact that there's something here, but it could be any incarnate. Like, I don't. The Carmine Beast could be interpreted as an incarnation of strife. God knows. Yeah. Yeah. I, exactly. I don't know. I was just kind of like. To me, it's felt weird this like to to introduce this idea that that's what they were trying to do, and I was just thinking, there's no reason Alexander would have had to give up on that after, um, you know, ruining Charles. Like he could have just gone to the next, uh, whatever Charles's thing was called, I forget, um, and, mm. and tried to do it with them. Mm. Yeah, true. Also, they say Lucy's come up with a plan to get Avery out, but they don't tell <laughs> us what it is, which is cruel. Yeah, I mean, we'll find out. That's a three point two thing, I think. Um, I hope so. It might like if if three point two is the negotiations, it may be a three point three thing. Could be a week away. Yeah, true. Who knows? Um, yeah, God, I don't know. We'll have to find out. Uh, and then yeah, we get the wrap on Miss. Hopefully not forever. And Snowdrop says, "Good riddance, well put, Snowdrop." Obviously, hopefully she <laughs> sticks around. Um, and that's the end of three point one. Yeah, it's funny how like Wilbur's done that classic thing where this whole time I'm always like, Miss, I don't quite trust her. She's pulling the strings. She's shifty. Like I, I think she's not the villain, but I don't, don't think she's all there. Mm. And then just in one chapter, she does a bunch of heroic shit and and like you know is presumably going to be lost for a long time now. And I'm like, oh god, we need her so bad. Like she's so precious. <laughs> she's like, mm. Done a complete 180 uh, on how I feel about her just as she disappears from the story. Yeah. <sighs> yeah um we'll hopefully see her again so on to the bonus material for this week which is interview notes two which is rounding up notes from the interviews of the other others that we've uh, been chatting to in the past few chapters yeah yeah and this is 
this felt like the recap of arc two in a way to me like mm. it's um we kind of got the same in interview notes one it kind of took all the big others from the previous arc and just kind of summarized what we know about them again mm. um which is obviously fun um it was cool to see what goblins actually look like in canon yes um, god the pictures of the goblins i love the picture of toad swallow he's he is so great it's so, i love his monocle yeah. um I, like again, Toad Swallow on a separate picture to the to the rest of them. He's always listed separately. What's the deal with it? It's driving me nuts. Yeah, I I don't. I know you're you're hot on the on the something's up with Toad Swallow trip, but I don't know if I'm there with you. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, just you wait. It'll be something. Um, also. Cherry Pop is in this, and it just it just made me realize when do we get our Cherry Pop and Snowdrop interaction scene? <laughs> Up and drop that's the now... spin-off coming soon. <laughs> that that's the one thing I need in my life right now is Cherry Pop and Snowdrop having a yeah. conversation. It it would be fucking hilarious. Ah, uh, yep. Yeah. <laughs> also, I love the picture of Miss. Oh yeah, it's uh, the empty was, It's a funny joke, uh, and it ends with <laughs> "Bye, Miss" at the end. Oh my heart, please don't do this. <laughs> Yeah, I I'm pretty convinced Miss is gone. Maybe we'll see her in an epilogue, or she'll be able to Deus Ex, uh, like towards the climax of the story. Mm. But I, I think just thinking about how we've just set up Alex as a kind of opposite of her, I think it really feels like losing Miss is very bad for everyone, which is yeah. why I think it's going to happen. It yeah. really escalates the tension. Uh, yeah, I get you. It's um, it it's the kind of thing that's just gonna up so badly that i i know it's gonna happen right <laughs> yeah exactly but the, yeah as this touched on she felt like the unofficial leader of the town mm. and it's gonna be bad without her mm. um yeah i agree i i think she really was like a, a like a calming influence on the entire town right and and without mm. it i just don't see how I mean, we have John and and matthew and edith and they're kind of okay but the rest of them are just fucking crazy <laughs> well miss was the brains as well yeah. like f- from from everything that we've seen it seemed like um yeah like i like you know someone like john i just don't see him holding it together in the same way yeah yeah i, I agree <sighs> anyway uh so that that sort of ends everything we've got to cover uh from the chapters today um but we wanted to do a, sh- a quick little bonus bit yeah um, bonus bit it's time Time for what I believe is the first proper monster corner Whoa. of Pale Reflections. How has it been, what, nine episodes and we haven't done one yet? Yeah, it's a good question, but um, it, it's here now, um, and it is on brownies, which were the little house elf uh, things we saw in the uh, in the Blue Heron Institute. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so what are they? Yeah, <laughs> they're kind of... I mean, yeah, well, they're a bit odd. So they're, they're from British folklore primarily, um, and the Scots call them brunies. Uh, so that's how you can expect it to be spelt if Alpi ever talks about them. Mm-hmm. Um, they, so they look like what we would think of when we think goblins. Like, so the pictures from, from the 3.1 extra material, that is, that is kind of what they look like. They're these short, like, ugly, lumpy, hairy things. But generally, they're actually classified more as like fairies or household spirits. Mm. Um, so it's like they—they're kind of this 
third thing. I mean, there's actually lots. Like, and and in fact, like the the articles on these things compare them to lots of other household helper spirits. Like this this sort of war was rampant throughout Europe, in particular. Um, but to to talk about like the fairy and goblins like spectrum, we sort of talked about how they're opposites in in pale. Um, brownies would maybe be somewhere in the middle. Like they're goblin esque in some ways, particularly appearance, but um, they behave and and you know their rules around them are closer to fairy type ones. Yeah, I I'm kind of remembering the story of like the cobbler and the elves go and like make shoes for him every night, and that's kind of the, yeah. what I'm picturing with these, right? Yeah, like that's pretty much it. So the idea with a brownie was that like um, particularly farm farmers like farmhouses mm. would end up with a brownie and. Brownie would just do all the chores for the family at night, like sweep and yeah. clean stuff. Um, and there were all these rules around them, sort of changed by region, and even like individual brownies sometimes had their own rules when they uh, started haunting, for want of a better word, like a house. Um, so, like some of the rules, you know, if you give a brownie a piece of clothing, they will leave you forever. Um, which kind of feels like where all the Dobby stuff from Harry Potter might have come from. Um, but, uh, like, if you, for, for many of the brownies, you have to leave a bowl of milk somewhere for them. And if you don't do that, they'll leave forever. Yeah. Um, if they basically, if they feel at all offended, they'll leave forever. Uh, and there's all sorts of weird ass shit that will, like, offend them um, and, and cause them to leave. Sometimes they'll trash your house before they leave. Um, <laughs> and,. Like, a lot of them, like, these specific brownies who had names and stuff, even just using that name would be enough to offend them and make them leave. Mm. Um, so, like, that doesn't quite map to exactly what we saw in, in in Pale, but it's sort of close enough that you can see the the inspiration, like, like Walbo's taken these concepts and extended them to make it, like, you know, these little fairies that seem to indenture themselves to accrue a karmic debt so that they can fuck you over later like it's this weird fairy play where they they act as servants so that they accrue debt or so that you accrue debt so that when you finally break the deal they can fuck you up um it's it's a fun idea (laughs) (laughs) yeah i like it i like the idea of the they're making deals with these brownies with the idea of like yeah we'll help you out but if you do this one wrong thing that of course in stories like this you always eventually do um things go yeah. to shit like i think nicolette says that it's been six years since somebody last fucked up the deal which means the debt is now bad enough that that person wouldn't be allowed to to die uh, <laughs> <Which> is... yikes <laughs> um crazy and anyway, yeah the, the brownies in actual mythology are a bit more of a mixed bag like some of them were interpreted as quite um benevolent other ones were closer to this idea of like they're kind of holding you hostage in a weird way mm. um with these with all these rules um yeah and like some of them would trash your house and stuff so there were there were bad interpretations um in fact and again like if your house had a brownie it was often like if some farmhouses were believed to have a brownie it would be like their neighbors would get real shitty with them because it's like oh their farm is doing better because they have a brownie um and and that's why they're so much more on top of their shit mm. um and you could get like accused of witchcraft at certain times, which obviously in the world of pale was probably accurate. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. In- interesting stuff. I mean, I like with all these monster corner bits, I always try to think about like where 
this myth might have come from. Like, how does someone become convinced that a little goblin is living in their house doing the chores for them at night in exchange for milk? <laughs> Maybe they just had a really helpful neighbor. Um, and, yeah, I mean, the best I can think of is it. if you had, like, an ugly little orphan or something come and just live in your house and, and do the chores in exchange for, like, stealing some of your food. Fair enough. Like, is that is that it? Like, that's yeah. pretty dark. <laughs> that's all I can think of. <laughs> uh, good stuff. Classic. I love finding out um, about the real world magical things behind uh, inspiring these these things in Pale. Yeah, it's it's always so fun. Um, and that is brownies. Yeah. Um, next up, why don't we take a look at some predictions that people have left in our Pale Predictor uh, sheet, where uh, we can, um, you know, people can make all their galaxy brain predictions, and we'll see who turns out to be correct. Yes. Uh, so I pulled out a prediction by Robin, mm-hmm. uh, who basically uh drops the theory that lucy will take john styles as her familiar uh and he will take the form of a german shepherd which um is just a nice little extra bold part of the prediction uh the he will turn into uh a german shepherd which i I mean the german shepherd bit really sold it for me yeah i can see these two making a good like couple isn't the right word like i don't know pairing no that still feels I don't know what the word is here. Familiar, practitioner, pair. Mm. A t- like, uh, dream know. team. Yeah, there is a bit of synergy there. Mm. Um, and like, honestly, you could do a lot worse for a familiar than John. Let's be honest. He's pretty <laughs> cool. Uh, yeah, I think he'd do well. I think he'd go, it'd be a great one. Um, I put out a prediction by a user, David Hunt, whose prediction is that uh, this is a, a whodunit. We haven't had a whodunit in a while, and I really like this one. Charles is behind it all because we know Charles's shtick was creating others, right? Um, mm. As a favor for Matthew, he created Edith, or maybe the girl by candlelight that became Edith. Um, and so he has enough knowledge that, over, like, power over her that uh, he's kind of holding her and Matthew hostage and forced Matthew slash Edith to take down the Carmine Beast. So Charles is behind it all. Um, with the goal, the end goal of getting himself unforsworn, which is uh, something that you know we talked about the appeals needing to appeal to the to the you know the, that group. So um, that's seemingly the motive. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it definitely makes sense from a thematic standpoint. I don't know if I like the idea of the person who was broken down and beaten by the system being this evil mastermind who then kills people. True. I, um, like I, I don't know this. There's, there's that doesn't feel great to me, but like I, I, I could see it working. I mean, I like, I like this connection that um, even if he didn't create the girl by candlelight, Charles is probably hugely important to Matthew for that mm. reason. Like Matthew presumably is presumably got tips on how to help or God even shape her um, off of Charles. So there may be a bit of a like debt there. I don't know. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I, even if it doesn't turn out to be as far as, and therefore he killed yeah, the kind of I think there's something yeah. to this, to this prediction. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, cool. Uh, so now let's talk about the answers we got to our discussion question. Cause damn, there were some real yeah. good ones in here. Um, we talked about the idea of designing a path based on a loose story type and man, yeah. we got so many great ones. And not just great ones, but they're all so long. And I, I quickly realized the problem with this discussion question, which is like, we can't possibly 
discuss them give them yeah. th- the coverage they deserve because we'll be here for four hours if we want to read them all out or even just one of them out um so we're going to like only cover a couple and and cover them quite briefly but like seriously wait but you should go go to the pale amalgam sheet which we link in the show notes below go to the thread for 2.8 2.9 yeah and, and, enjoy. and read some of these because they're great yes they're very good um we got one from Wabo, a user named Wabo. Uh, yes, which I, did we did we specify that we were after fan fiction? Because if we did, then then unfortunately Wabo is disqualified. Uh, yeah, I mean we could talk through all these, but so many of them are so great. I don't even know if it's worth us like like all we're going to be doing is giving you a worse experience than reading them. <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, like this Wabo one is is great. It's insane. I mean, obviously. It, it gave me like <laughs> cartoon, like Animaniacs, like Looney Tunes style vibes. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. I mean, the, so it's like this path where you're actually like falling at terminal velocity for the whole thing, but falling through a like vertical street, basically. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah it's it's insane. Um, the, the yeah it, and it's a path that you get to from other paths it's not directly accessible um there's all sorts of great stuff in this um i i i don't want to try and highlight some of the other ones but like seriously go read them if if these at all pique your interest yeah, they're really good um bavarian barbarian uh just sort of linked us to this thing called the left right game mm. which is this really popular creepy pasta that um i kind of tried to skim the the basic plot points and it's like this you know you do this sort of ritual of driving in your car in a certain way and you end up in a parallel world. It is very pathy. Um, and in fact, as I was like trying to look it up, it actually has, there's a podcast adaptation of this creepypasta mm. uh, starring Tessa Thompson. Oh, cool. Um, and in fact, Amazon is working with Tessa to build a TV version of this creepypasta. So, um, I mean, you should go read it, but if you don't have the time right now, there's a podcast and soon to be TV show covering uh this path like ritual so uh you'll you'll get your chance Mm. yeah interesting um yeah check it check out the podcast slash tv show i guess um (laughs) i saw one uh, a user called comb jelly posted this in our discord uh it was the train to nowhere which was this great prompt for a creepy train path that basically let comb to write really interesting others that appear on it as um like other passengers you know yeah it was, it was i was reading this and i was just like oh f- fucking of course infinity train like this is like this is such a good premise this idea of like carriages and and passengers like i mean there's a reason a lot of stories tap into this sort of train idea and it's because they're simultaneously isolated and flexible um because of all the carriages so i can't believe comb jelly is the only one who did this it's great I, yeah i think there was one other one um but man yeah it was cool um yeah i i really liked the one by uh zakatigi um which was sort of tapping into these stories based on like you know a door to another universe like narnia type stuff Mm. um slash like endless haunted corridor mansion things like you know uh, those hotel floors or or haunted mansions where like doors lead to stuff that isn't like in the space-time continuum yeah um again i i can't really do it justice (laughs) um but there's this really cool theme around all the boons and and some of the challenges where it's all about uh equipping you to focus on new ideas like i thought that was a really interesting yeah spin uh on it like to to get you to you know to equip the finder with new ways of thinking um 
which is what these sorts of stories generally try to lead to. Yeah. Look, they were all great. I think, yeah, like uh, there are a lot of really, really good ones in there. So go check them out, folks. Um, yeah. What a great discussion question. Loved it. Uh, so do we have another one for next week? Yes. Uh, so our next discussion question uh, is is a bit more old school. Uh, we're simply just asking, now that we've seen some other practitioners uh, in the Boulangers, uh, how do you think the Kennedys, or how, how good a deal do you think the Kennedys got in how they awoke? Um, yeah, good question. Uh, leave your so, answers to that in our discussion thread, which you'll be able to find linked down in the show notes down below. Yes. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter. It's at MediaMD Podcast for now. Uh, that's where I do my live reads and we post the episodes there and we retweet the other stuff on the Doof Network. Oh, yeah, Lots of cool content. All kinds of great capital C content. Um, if you send us Bitcoin, we'll send you double back. <laughs> Just check out the address in one of our tweets. Yep. Um, if you uh, like the shows on the Doof Media Network, why not check out the website? It's got a merch store. It's got all kinds of cool things on there. I forgot about that. I know, right? All kinds of other great <laughs> content that you can also enjoy. Yes. Uh, we've mentioned Decomposing Worm before. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've just switched to a fortnightly uh, format. Oh, I think they call it bi-weekly because for some reason, Americans are under the impression they can't use the word fortnight, uh, even though it's way more like clear what you mean um anyway yes uh anyway it's fortnightly now um which is like probably sensible because they have such long episodes and they cover so much content um so go check it out if you haven't i think you know now they're probably about two months away from finishing um and it's it's really good stuff like matthias and clarence have a great dynamic and and a lot of cool insights into a story i'm sure everyone listening to this has read and talked about a bunch Mm -hmm. yeah um if you're looking for a box to put your old gold coins into instead of blood, why not check out Wabo's Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Wabo, where you can support Wabo in all of his great authorial work. Yes, uh, without him, we wouldn't have had anything to talk about today, and this would have been a much shorter episode. Mm. Or it would have been longer, but just more boring, I reckon. <laughs> yeah. um, we would have just talked about it. It's quite sunny outside yeah, today. Actually, there was just a beautiful sunset outside my window so if you heard me typing i was just messaging somebody to say go check out this beautiful sunset and that's the kind of content that you would expect if this story didn't <laughs> yeah. exist so um this is the kind of boring bullshit that would happen without wapo yeah. so go show him some support exactly um and i guess that's the end of our episode huh so uh thanks yeah. for joining us and we'll see you next week as we dive into on the lamb <laughs> no, out on a limb <laughs> is what it's actually called See ya. Bye.